Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the JMO Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Michaels. Our guest this week, Joel Nelson. I think Joel is probably the second or third most recurring guest on this show. Uh, for good reason. Joel is such a smart angler, well-spoken. Uh, he's always answers the call anytime I get in touch with him. And you know, he's just one of those guys that I can't get enough of. He's kind of a panfish guru, but definitely just a multi-species guy uh, over there in Minnesota. A lot of southern Minnesota stuff. Uh, we've talked to him before about it, but uh, you know, a spring crappie episode where it's really, really in depth. You know, I think we've we've talked in, with Joel in the spring before uh, last year. Just really, really good information, good ideas, kind of spread across. You know, the, right around the walleye opener, and and that's kind of where we're sitting right now, time frame. We're talking early spring, just before the Minnesota walleye opener, and um, but we're gonna talk crappies because. I think that there's a lot of people that do very much appreciate the opportunities to get in a boat right away after ice out and go hunt down these uh, these crappies when they're staging for the spawn. It's a really great, fun time of year to fish crappies. And, you know, there's just something about crappies. They kind of have an X factor where if you're a bass fisherman or a musky fisherman or a walleye fisherman or, you know, whatever, uh, you know, almost everybody also fishes for crappies. And I love it. I love fishing for crappies. It's a really, really fun interview for me with Joel talking spring crappies and everything. It's it's a pretty in-depth one. I would say this is probably about as an in-depth of a spring crappie episode as we've ever had. So a lot to learn here. A very, very fun episode. Let's get into this interview. We've got Joel Nelson. We're talking spring crappies. To get into this, like sort of to like set the stage here. This is this is kind of interesting, and you you can tell me I'm wrong or, or have a different assessment because I'm I'm kind of uh, naive in this way. But it's I, I feel like this is kind of true. We're gonna talk, you know, pre-spawn or spring crappies with you uh, on this show. But the thing about crappie anglers that I think is is kind of fun and interesting is like the crappies in the Midwest. There's a lot of a lot of people. A lot of anglers that target crappies as their number one species for every season throughout the year. They're fun to catch through the ice. They're fun to catch in open water. You know, the spring and the fall, they, they kind of have their own flavor throughout the seasons. And they're just a fun fish to try to figure out on any body of water. And I think that that makes them kind of cool when you look at the anglers that, that are like that. Uh, where there's a lot of like walleye guys that you know, throughout the Midwest, wherever you're at, we'll kind of take a break in the dead of winter to maybe go chase bluegills or whatever. Uh, you know, bass fishermen, they kind of take a break in the winter to go, you know, do whatever they got to do, you know, like, like really popular game species kind of have their seasons, but crappies seem to, crappie anglers seem to be able to go nuts all, all year long. And I have a huge appreciation for that. For sure. What do you feel like that? I mean, you're a crappie guy. That's why we got you on. But like, like when when you talk about anglers in the industry, like crappies are cool. Yeah, crappies are everywhere too. I mean, I think that's the key, right? They're available, so they're great spawners. They show up really well in fishery surveys. They're prolific in deep water North Country lakes. They do great in shallow, weedy, mucky bottom lakes with silty bays uh, and everything in between. So. You find them in a wide variety of scenarios and, you know, for the most part, because they spawn so well, they withstand harvest fairly well, too. So uh, even in high pressure situations where there's a lot of people fishing and taking, 
uh, the crappie population can still be doing quite well. And so, like you said about the different seasons, well, you know, spring crappie fishing is just synonymous with pencil floats and bulrush stems. And then you think the summer, I think of uh, summer trolling bites or right at dark kind of pitching up against the lily pad edges. And then fall, you've kind of got a lot of those fish putting on the, the feed bags just for winter. And then winter, I mean, heck, we can go out to the lakes and, and darn near mark the basins by the way that the fish houses are laid out almost exclusively because of crappies. So, yeah, I agree 100% with that assessment. I think crappies do drive a lot of the fishing during fall, even when they may not know they're fishing for crappies. Maybe they're just fishing to catch something. A lot of times that something is crappies. You know, talking about the fish, we'll get into like techniques and stuff later, um, you know, and some like, you know, utilizing electronics to find fish. But just talking about the fish patterns, what kind of makes them unique or what what are some of the triggers every spring, you know, that that you're paying attention to, you know, with weather, you know, seasonal stuff and whatever water temperatures like just to talk about that whole like that that whole spring crappie deal that's going on out there. I'm just going to cut you loose right there. Yeah, well, so, you know, you talk about spring and pre-spawn leading into the spawn. I tell you, it's one of those things where water temperatures really drive everything. And the warmest water in the lake, I was just talking with Bro the other day about it. And, you know, he's a firm believer that those water temperatures don't just drive the spawn and the spawning behavior, but maybe more importantly for crappies, it drives the the predator-prey relationship and kind of where bait are stacking up. And as those shallows warm and kind of like the 50, mid 50 degree water temperature range, you get some really, really great movement of bait in the shallows. And a lot of times those things eating that bait, those, those minnows and, and, you know, the phytoplankton and zooplankton, everything that's kind of just getting going there as things warm up are crappies. So I, I like to think of it where if I, if I hop in the boat and I'm reading sub 50 degrees, I I don't even think about the shallows, to be honest. If I'm reading over 50 degrees, then I start thinking about, okay, shallows. I start thinking about what time of day it is. I start thinking about, okay, where is the warmest water in the lake going to be? And then I seek that warmer water out. I look for it constantly. And the cool part is now is you can just bomb around different parts of the lake. You got to get that fishing mentality out of your mind at first. You're not fishing. You're hunting. You're hunting for warm water and when you find the warm water you will find the bait you will find the fish but there's no use slowing down your whole approach and wetting lines and getting new rods ready and tying on new baits for fish that just aren't where you're fishing so for me that's kind of first step thinking about water temperatures and then as we approach middle 50s upper 50s into the 60s then I start really thinking okay well now we're not just pre-spawn but potentially into the spawn where you get upwards of 65 degrees and and definitely fish are spawning, have spawned, and, and are starting to think about maybe even moving back out. So that's kind of the progression for me uh, as, I, as, as I think about water temps and pre-spawn. Right on. And, and like, the, it's a transitional time, right, because we're going from, you know, the, the, the winter basin patterns. Now, you know, when the ice is out, you, know, you talk about the ecosystem is kind of going through some changes, you know, some bug hatches and stuff like that happening. Like, how spread out do you feel like they are? Like, when you're searching for fish, um, you know, is it easier to kind of try to stay, 
you know, in, in some of those predictable areas and just try to, you know, try to find some fish and run traffic, if you will? Or, you know, are you trying to find those fish that are on the tip of the spear that are, you know, reacting the most, uh, you know, to the season or the conditions of the day? Like, I mean, they're moving around a lot. Like, like, like what would be your expectation when you find fish? Are you finding a lot of fish? I, I'd say uh, I, I have a thought that most anglers start looking too shallow too early and it gets frustrating. I know I've been one of those anglers in the past where I know how good it will be, but maybe it is not yet that time. And so I like actually looking for fish and crossing off the depths first. And so when I say crossing off, I really mean literally I'm going to look where I was ice fishing and I'm going to pick the nearest shoreline that's either north facing has some wood, has some rock, things that'll warm up and, and, and hold some of those warmer temperatures, maybe maybe a pocket, a bay inside, you know, up against a basin, those kind of areas. I, I look for those basins first and, and I and it's easy to scan deep, right, with your electronics. So I use my electronics first and foremost to cross that spot off the list. And you'll kind of know right away if you find them, because when you find them, you find them big. They're just clustered. There's hundreds of fish. They are suspended in 30 to 60 feet of water, depending on the depth of your basins, 15 to 25 feet down. They're fairly tightly schooled. The cool part is is that they will eat, right? So if you've got a low wind kind of day, you can fish those fish. You can fish them ice fishing style. You know, drop your bait just below the transducer, watch them eat and pick them up. Now, it's not spring crappie fishing to me, however. I I don't enjoy that kind of fishing as much as I love pitching up in the shallows. But if you're out maybe for opener or you're fishing and it's cold and it has been cold and fish aren't up in the shallows and the shallows aren't teeming with life, you need to cross that deep spot off first and then start working your way shallower. And for me, it's always easiest to start deep then to look shallow. I don't worry about the in-between. I don't love crappies in transition. Now, I understand they're going to yo-yo back and forth, and there might be days, like a cold front day, where they were previous, previously shallow, and then they back out to the edges. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when the school breaks up, so to speak, right? When they go from their winter spots and they transition all the way shallow. I don't love fishing them like that because there's a lot of in-between. Some are neutral, some are negative, and some are more aggressive, in that instance, I'd almost prefer to go to the shallows and catch some of the more aggressive, like you said, tip of the spear fish first. And so that's kind of my approach. Everybody's a little bit different, but I've, I've found success with that approach in finding fish more quickly. Oh, yeah, man. There's a couple things in that that I really want to unpack. But like one thing that comes to mind, and it's really just sort of a, a combination of, of all the questions uh, that I get, you know, the like, you know, about crappies or, or to have a do a crappie show and, and, and the things that people are looking for. I think, you know, even, you know, the average, uh, uh, you know, crappie angler out there, you know, guys that really chase crappies. And, and I mean that as a compliment. I mean, yeah, because I think the average crappie angler probably knows his stuff and can can get go out and get bit on any day of the year. But still in the springtime, it seems like that's like where most of the questions are because a lot of guys can probably go out in the wintertime on their favorite lake that they have years of experience on 
and have a good day and catch a bunch of fish, just like the guys on YouTube do. And then same thing in the summertime, you know, if you put enough days in with stable weather, um, you know, and, and the weeds are really grown up and you, you know, you can kind of dissect the spot and you can have a day just as good as the guys on YouTube had. But spring is like that time of year where even the guys that are kind of on them all the time, they still have questions. It's like, gosh, how come I can't put together that, that big day? in the spring. And you definitely spoke to a few things there. Anything else you could elaborate on to kind of explain in your experience what that is for a lot of people and why spring can be a a bit of a struggle for some people? Well, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think there's the temptation to think that when you're seeing stringers of fish, you're seeing all these guys catching fish and they're posting it on social media. I think there's the temptation to think that everybody everywhere is smacking them and I'm not. And I'll be the first to tell you that just in talking with a lot of anglers, knowing a lot of pros, fishing a lot myself in the springtime, it's usually not the case. When when the weather is tough, the fishing tends to follow is tough. And, you know, great anglers will do the things that it takes to get bit. But that doesn't mean that they're crushing them every time, right? It might mean that they only catch 15 fish that day, but it's a good day for the conditions. So I, I guess I want to just start off by saying that. The second thing I want to say is that all these lakes are different. You know, I can think of like Lake Minnetonka right now, like fish are going in the shallows there, but most of the crappy lakes I fish, there's no fish in the shallows. So there's just so much shallow water habitat there. And there's so many crappies that a lot of those fish just get going early. So you may hear, oh man, they're catching them shallow. And then you go out to your favorite lake, And there's not a fish in the shallows and you beat up the shallows. I mean, every lake is different. Every day is different. So you just need to trust your electronics, trust your intuition, but also don't ignore the signs that are screaming at you. I I mean, if you pull up into the shallows and you're not seeing much, you're not seeing fresh weed growth, even tiny little stalks starting, you're not seeing a, a lot of life, a lot of activity there may not be much going in the shallows at all. I mean, life brings more life. It's just the number one rule. And so if you are on the struggle bus and you are trying to hit them shallow and you're talking to guys that are saying they're getting them shallow, maybe try to get a little more info. I, you know, I, I have found there are times where fish will move shallow even before those water temps hit 50. But the only times that I find fish like that are good brush piles. Um, big piles of Christmas trees or natural brush trees that have dropped from along the shoreline. It's literally stuff that's taking in sunlight and, and holding it and making them feel, you know, it might be micro microclimate type differences in, in, in the water temperature. It might only be one or two degrees warmer right up against that tree. Well, those fish feel it and like it. So I, I really, yeah, like I said, first things first, don't think everybody's catching them. And second thing, second, every lake's a little bit different. If it is too early, you may find them up against wood, but for the most part, the bulk of the fish might still be deep. Yeah. Now, I kind of had this on my notes for later, and so this is going to seem like we're bouncing around a little bit, but what you said there was definitely uh, like alternate patterns or like minority patterns, I I might call them. I feel like you can definitely cluster crappies as like a patternable fish throughout the seasons. I, I think that... You know, anybody kind of, you know, kind of will probably uh, understand most of this conversation as more of a refresher course. But I think there's tidbits that we can all take all the time. And I think with crappies, those little minority patterns are, we're starting to realize because of 
advancements in technology and electronics and you know participation you know uh, you know fisher's iq you know on for the average guy i think we're starting to realize with crappies that's there's a ton of examples and probably something some example of it on just about any good crappie lake that there's always like an alternate pattern that you could come across at some point in time. Uh, talk a little bit more about that, and just even even if we just talk about you know for f- some fun memories that you've had in the past where you kind of landed on some some accidental fish or something like that in the spring. Yeah, absolutely. So you you say alternate patterns, and I love that term because everybody you know in our business, a, a lot of people are saying, well, where are you getting the fish? And, and, and I could describe them. I don't tell people lake names typically, and I certainly don't love to, like, raid spots, but it, it sometimes doesn't matter. I could tell them exactly where, and it changes tomorrow. Or I could tell them exactly where or what kind of spot to look for, and on their home lake, none of that applies. So you talked about some memories. I was down fishing towards Wasika. There was a lake that was pretty hot with crappies down there a couple of years back, and all these fish were on like a 10 to 14 foot flat during the time of year when really we would have expected to find them up in the shallows. Um, and a lot of it had to do with angler pressure and boat traffic and people driving around and pestering fish in the shallows. And a lot of these fish were literally, they had to be caught almost like, I don't know, deadlining is a term, but you're almost dragging a bait. You're not really trolling it. You're, you're kind of drifting it and just kind of giving it some movement, but but trying to catch them vertically didn't work. Trying to cast to them didn't work. Trying to put it to them under a bobber didn't work. Had to elicit some movement, and we also had to find on the colder days, minnows. Um, <laughs> my general rule with minnows for all species is when they're a pain in the butt, that's when you need them the most. When it hurts your fingers to use minnows, that's exactly when you should be using minnows. Like, so, so I, uh, I think a lot of people get excited for crappie fishing and, and you talk about alternate patterns. Most people don't, don't have alternate patterns. If they're thinking about a pattern they, they want to cast bobbers and they want to cast plastics up to shore, retrieve them, bring them back, feel that tick. Who doesn't love that feeling? That's great. Drop the rod, set the hook. And they're just hooked right at the top shelf of the mouth. It's just, as a crappie angler, that's what you drool over, but it, a lot of times, like, that's just not, they're not ready for it, man. You got to slow it down. You got to use minnows. You got to use bait. You got to think about them a little bit differently. And side imaging, I think, has really changed. I mean, I found those fish side imaging on that 10 to 14 foot flat. And I was just messing around. They weren't in the deep stuff. They weren't in the shallow stuff. They were in this transition area. And it wasn't a transition area. They weren't transitioning. This is just where they were going to stay um, until they had to absolutely go shallow to, to dump their eggs. So there's just a lot of different lakes, a lot of different patterns. Sometimes it isn't going to make sense. Sometimes they're not going to be deep or shallow. Sometimes you really just got to put in some drive time behind the wheel to find these fish. Yeah, man. And you know, that sounds like a pain in the butt probably to some people, but I think a lot of people kind of like that because there is a challenge involved and there's kind of a badge of honor when you do find them. That's true with just fishing in general, but like with crappies in the spring, 
you know, I think that when you do put your time in, like there's just a great reward in that when you have put that work in and you kind of, you're transitioning this for me. I kind of want to get into now the electronics and finding fish, you know, throughout the day. What does an average day of fishing kind of look like? You know, I'll maybe throw some hypothetical conditions at you and just kind of see what your answers are. But, you know, talk a little bit about that, like the progression of finding fish. Um, You know, if you've gotten out there, we can maybe establish, you know, some spring water temperatures of like, say, you know, sub 50 degrees, say, 45 48 degrees that i think the early birds that are out there are going to see some of those temperatures in a lot of cases this year for sure across the midwest you know uh getting around even the walleye opener you know with uh if a lot of people there's going to be late ice out for a lot of lakes especially up north right we've said that before um but it's certainly true this year uh but um you know those cool water temps but you know talking about making an assessment maybe on water clarity, or maybe that doesn't mean much to you. Um, talk a little bit about that, though, and just the hunt and finding fish and the things that you're looking for, um, you know, before you wet a line. Yeah, you bet. Well, you already know that I, I kind of favor some of those deep spots first. It's just a first look to cross that off the list. Like I said, it's easy to scan with your electronics real quickly. These basins drive around six miles per hour or faster and just start doing donuts, right? Driving around those basins, you'll know real quick. Now, the exception is is lakes that some of the lakes in southern Minnesota I fish have a lot of rough fish, so that's not as easy to check those those spots off the list in in, in spots like that. But uh, quite often, if they're in the traditional crappie holes from the winter, they're going to be there or they're not. And so my progression starts there. Then it moves towards the shallows, like I said. And when I'm looking shallow, I'm using side imaging almost exclusively. So I'll literally cruise up a shoreline, do side imaging both sides. Some guys are like, well, hey, I want to weight my screen heavily so I see a longer distance up against the shallow. I don't want to do that. I want to split. split. I, I want to do the, you know, kind of the split screen, look to the left of the boat, look to the right of the boat, because quite often I have found schools of crappies out in that 10, 11, 12-foot range still kind of hanging, grouping up, getting in little, you know, little little groups of fish getting ready to push up shallow. So I don't want to discount left or right of the boat. I, I want to see it all. But the thing also to remember is that especially with clear water, like these fish hide pretty well. They, they're kind of an edge species, right? Like in the summer, you're used to casting up against lily pads, like little curly tail grubs or something. You're used to fish maybe hiding in cabbage. Um Unless it's fairly barren, they, you may not see the classic like salt and pepper speckles all over your side imaging. So you gotta you gotta kind of temper your reality a little bit, and yet at the same time, you expect to see those fish up against something. So if you see a school of five, six, seven fish, and they're up against, uh, you know, like chunks of bulrush sedge or chunks of, uh, you know, sometimes just like floating bog material or just lumps of different bottom content or different substrate that shows up so well. A lot of times that's where I'm looking. I'm like fine tuning my eye to look specifically at those spots rather than just random fish out in the open. I consider that kind of noise at times. I'm looking for a cluster of fish up against something that kind of keys me into think, okay, those are probably crappies. And, and then 
you know, then it then it is about pitching shallow, especially bobbers early. So that's kind of that's kind of my approach with electronics at the outset. Yeah. Do you prefer like when you're doing like a progression that's you know you're checking deeper spots off the list and moving in shallower as you go? Do you prefer like if I'm just looking at a map and maybe doing some garage fishing? Do you like tapering shoreline, uh, uh, you know, or, or tapering topography? Do you like break lines, um, you know, like like when when you know where they were or have a good idea where they were in the winter in the deepest part of the basin? Um, is it just a, a factor of wherever the closest shoreline, which a little with a little bit of habitat is, or do you feel like they might be kind of reacting to some stimulation of you know in, in other ways, like where that we could maybe find on a map? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm a huge fan of feeding shelves. I think, I think back to all the different bites I've been on walleyes, crappies, bluegills over the years, um, especially fish behaving in a predatory manner, like crappies do with minnows or walleyes do for all kinds of different things they eat. I, I love a basin progression that kind of goes from like maybe a 25 to 40 foot hole and then it slowly, gradually tapers up to a nice flat, a weedy coontail or cabbage flat, you know, in that 8 to 15 foot of water range. And then there's another break that leads up to a shallower shoreline in the 3 to 6 foot range. It, I kind of think of it as three different levels, right? And when you get those scenarios, those fish behave more predictably. Um, when I have really gradual, long tapers on stuff, it doesn't mean fish aren't there. It just means they're harder to find or harder to target and locate. Um, that said, that the flip side of that coin is the more likely you are once you find those fish to have them more to yourselves. Like they don't stick out on the map like a sore thumb, so to speak. So I love roving from basin to the next flat up and then looking at the hard break to the next flat up from that up in the shallows. That Those spots to me when you're, like you said, grad fishing, um, tend to work out pretty well, especially if the shoreline has some good developing weed growth, especially if that shoreline has some brush up against it in my neck of the woods, man, that's just having sent for crappies. Yeah, man. And, 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 you know, for you, somebody that has, you know, the, the advantage of the electronics and, and the experience with it, there's probably still a lot of anglers that have, you know, just they got a, a small boat. Maybe they don't have side imaging, um, you know, whatever they, but they live on a good crappie body of water. Like, you know, just kind of maybe just expand on your own mind. If you just look back on your career in fishing, like how much that, that, that more, little bit more fast pace or, you know, the integration of the technology, what that did, how that changed your, you know, fishing strategy or even your fishing style, um, you know, from say 20 years ago to now that you feel like made the biggest difference to like finding and catching fish? Yeah, that's a great, great question. You know, everybody's using the live scope or live, you know, live view. There's so many different, you know, manufacturers that are doing that. And, and that has changed things for me, certainly, but to me, not as much as side imaging because side imaging and mapping, you know, mapping always gets a, always gets a backseat to everything else. But you know, for me, going way back in time, it was sonar at first. And I was the kid who, in a boat with grandpa, was dumping a, a, a deucer over the side of the boat 
and fishing directly below a, a flasher transducer. And, and that was huge back then because nobody did that in the summer really. Right. Like that was kind of a weird thing to do in the summer, but for crappies, especially early, like it made all the difference and, and just killed them that way. And, you know, then, then you come along with liquid crystal graphs and being able to see down sonar and that worked great. But as crappies move shallower, not as, you know, just not as applicable because you can't get over the top of them and your transducer cone so narrow at that point. So the side imaging to me was like the single greatest thing that allowed me to eliminate water more quickly. So I just do a ton of scanning with that. And it's pretty rare when I don't have it on, on my boat. But I would also have to say that around that same time, the mapping got really better too. So being able to, especially on lakes with one foot contours, eliminate vast swaths of water that I didn't feel, you know, had applicability to the day's fishing. That was when it came with the side imaging on top of it, like a double whammy of like, holy cow, this has progressed my fishing a massive, a massive amount. And I'll be honest, like live target and, and that kind of stuff. Um, I'm sorry, live, yeah, live scope really has, it's helped, but not with crappies as much as I would have thought in the springtime scenarios, because uh, quite often for me, it's about watching bobbers and I, I just kind of love pitching it up against that stuff. Quite often it's through a ton of different debris or brush. And if you get the perfect scenario with no weeds or no brush, between you and the boat and then just this brush pile and you can shine it up and see the crappies in it and you can watch them come out and eat your bait. Like I get it. That's great. But the scenarios don't always play out like that. It's not just like the TV commercials. A lot of times it's hassling, it's fumbling. It's trying to get the, that, that transducer on, on that, you know, on that live scope pointed the right direction. And I, I don't think that, that that has been for me and my spring fishing anyway, that much of a game changer compared to the the double whammy of mapping and yeah and, and just the side imaging it's been great the jmo podcast is sponsored by long haul trucking long hauls always looking for more skilled professional cdl drivers to join their team they're a people first company and it shows their employee owned asset-based fleet of over 350 conestogas is among industry leaders in pay and benefits geared towards long-term success and growth for company drivers and owner operators if you're a professional driver or a company that wants to ship product with the best in the business get a hold of long haul at 1-800-255-5153 or find them online at longhaultrucking.com long haul running on the power of promises kept uh one more thing on like patterns and finding fish that i wanted to say is you know throughout the day crappies are a super mobile fish even in big numbers in schools where you know, it, it, that, that doesn't even matter any, any time of year. But in the spring, when it's, you know, the sun comes up and it warms up the water in the afternoon, like throughout the day, if you are lucky enough to get on some fish in the morning, can you follow them from, say, a little bit deeper water into some shallow water? Or do you feel like that's more of a day-to-day, week-to-week kind of a conversation? You know, I, I would think the latter for the most part. Now, that is to say that there have been days that I have been able to, you know, locate them on a flat you know, in 10 feet plus of water and your bike kind of slowly dies out throughout the morning into the afternoon. And then you go up shallow and there are a lot more fish up shallow than when you first look. But at the same time, I think the classic mistake 
um, that a lot of people end up making just inadvertently is they go and they check the shallows and it's 10, 11 in the morning and the sun has just started to peek out from a nasty weather pattern and they don't see them up there and they abandon the shallows and, and they kind of forget about it. When in reality, those fish are just starting to think about moving in there for the day. And so I, I have been guilty of that myself where you hit a couple lakes and lo and behold, the lakes that you hit in the afternoon were magically better. And it had nothing to do with the lake. It just had everything to do with the angle of the sun and the water temperature and the fact that things probably weren't going to start happening until about three o'clock for you anyway. And I've just had some incredible afternoon evening bites that have been just really good, especially in clear water. Um, you know, I tend to think of those clear water crappies, you know, it's just a, it's just a fact of nature that that sunlight and the inherent heat it can provide just transfers so much better through clear non-turbid water. So you're just going to heat everything up quicker. Um, the effect of the sun is going to be more pronounced in that clear water and fish are going to respond to it and bait's going to respond to it more quickly. So I, I just, I, I really am a fan in a lot of people will be fish fishing over the opener and faced with this scenario where what time do I fish? Do I go out for the midnight bell for walleyes? Uh, do I, do I head out first thing in the morning and stick to walleyes? Do I fish crappies early because the walleyes are being a pain in the butt? Um, I just, I really am a fan of fishing in the afternoons during the springtime and don't ever cross a lake off the list for good unless you've given it its best shot during the best time of the day to be fishing them. Oh man. I'm so glad you said that. I have, I've actually, I've asked a ton of anglers that where, especially like in Minnesota where, you know, or Wisconsin or even North Dakota, like wherever you're at, where if you live in a place where there's like fishing opportunities around you where you fish two or three lakes in a day. Cause there's a lot, a lot of people now, you know, guys that are aggressive. It's like, you know, gosh, it's not happening on this lake. I can go to the next lake. Like when you're going out and trying new lakes, like don't ever cross them off the list until you really feel like you've given them a true shot. Cause you know, a good fishing opportunity is worth it. Right. Like, and, oh, uh, yeah. and if you only went out there, say one or two times, cause that's, you know, the, and it was tough conditions. And that's fair. That happens all the time because we can't always choose what day we get to go fishing or what the weather's like on the day that we right. finally get a chance to go fishing or have time in our schedules or whatever. But it's like, I, I really like that point. Um, I would definitely well, I think, co-sign that. I, I think when it comes to big bluegills, like you take that point and you double it because like how many times do we look for big bluegill lakes where, where we know big bluegills exist and we fish it and we just didn't get it done, right? And so I just, man, crappies are one thing, but big bluegills can hide in a lake like no other too. Oh yeah. And then, yeah. And then that big fish conversation, if you're, if you're and that, that's true with any species, cause we're all fanatics about something and the, you know, every, every, every fish species, every game fish species has a, a fanatical angler that's going after them. We're talking crappies here, but like, you know, like if you're talking a big fish species, you, know, you almost never would assume that even if you have certain spots dialed in that you're going to catch a big one or a really trophy class fish or really get into the trophy crappies like every time you go out, even if you're fishing the best conditions. So it's like, yeah, definitely like putting your time in uh, in good conditions to really, 
you know, to really dial this stuff in, I think is like such a great point where if you feel like you've just been rash and that's, that's all of us lately is that none of us have been blessed with really great fishing conditions, even all winter. <laughs> it's like none of us have really been able to like cross anything off the list. Cause it's like, oh, we're getting off of, off the body of water going, what the heck just happened to me? It's like, our heads are spinning <laughs> off. It's so windy. It's cold. It's, you know, it's like, you know, oh man, open water, you know, boat control. It's like, man, I just didn't fish any of my spots good today. Like what the heck? happen so yeah yeah crossing stuff off the list is like yeah really really uh uh being dedicated and putting your time in in good conditions and trying to do it right if it you know everything that's worth doing is worth doing right you know and, and that's a great great point for for fishing crappies in the spring well let's round this out here the last uh, handful of minutes uh presentations let's talk tackle or even right down to terminal tackle and how you tie your knots like anything that you sort of key in on when you're say prepping your boat how much of an arsenal do you like to bring in the spring you know to, to attack different conditions or whatever um i just want to cut you loose on this topic and just give me you know your your four or five best you know tips tri- tricks strategies to presentations for spring like pre-spawn right up to spawn type crappie fishing yeah i i I tend to overstick like everything. I've got too many rods in the boat for too many different situations, but that kind of comes from being caught off guard at times, right? Where you're like, okay, I expect to find them in the shallows and in the shallows, you know, I, I love longer rods when I can get away with it. I'm a big fan, you know, of the St. Croix seven foot LXFs and anything seven foot or longer, I think casts really well, these tiny jigs. And if you put a bobber on, well, then you can really launch it, right? With all the extra weight. But, you know, what happens when I go out to the deep stuff and I'm trying to jig right below a transducer, a seven foot rod is just totally unwieldy. So like even like a five and a half foot or five foot ultralight might make a little bit more sense there because you're closer to the transducer. You're just, you're, you're, you're trying to feel tiny, tiny bites in deep water uh, sensitivity and length of the rod makes a bigger difference there. So I, you know, when I think about rods, I think about casting and casting distance and tinier jigs that I need to send. I'm thinking longer rods just at the outset. Now you get down to, to some of the terminal tackle and the rigging and what I use and, and when I use it. Um, I really narrow it down to how active the fish are. And if the water temperatures are again, below 55, much below 55, closer to, you know, 45, I, I'm looking at natural things. I'm looking at like firefly jigs with kind of a natural hair look or a soft hackle that breathes. I can catch fish on those baits without bait at times um, because it just looks so natural. When I'm fishing murkier water, I like something with more flash, more brightness, more color, something like a gypsy jig, you know, you pick your manufacturer, but those are kind of ones that have been proven, tried and true for me, depending on conditions. Now, if I'm fishing really deep, I use a lot of ice tackle, believe it or not. You know, you can repurpose some of your ice stuff. And the biggest tungsten jigs are awesome for open water crappie baits deep. Like, she's there's like the gill getter and the mud bug and there's all these like super bigger tungsten sizes that maybe were too big for what you were trying to do bluegill fishing all winter, but they're just perfect to get deep quick below a boat transducer in, in, you know, in the the deep basin type scenarios. As I get shallower 
and the fish get more aggressive, I start switching from, you know, really modified finesse presentations to things that are a little bit more aggressive. Eventually, once we get over above 60 degrees, a lot of what I'm doing is with plastic. And at that point, you know, you've got a couple different options, but a lot of just plain jig heads with minnow, uh, one inch or one and a half inch minnow imitations. Tubes are kind of an in-between. When the fish are the most aggressive, I'll use a lot of boot tail type plastics. I like the thump. I like the action they give off curly tail grubs and kind of that ribbon that that they cast throughout the water. That's the aggressive approach. Um, If fish are a little more dull or I'm fishing below a bobber, a lot of times then that's either a tube or a small one or one and a half inch plastic minnow. Um, and so again, that's just real simple rigging. And when it comes to floats, I, I prefer pencil floats. Um, I love the information they give off. They're longer, a, a simple round bobber doesn't give me as much because when a bait's laying on bottom, it's not doing me much good. And a pencil float will tell me that. Um, I do try to make sure that my float is kind of kind of neutrally buoyant uh, as close to sinking on its own as possible without it actually sinking below the water. Now that may change in wave or heavy waves that I'll want that bobber to stand a little taller, a little more proud, but I just use simple split shot to kind of, kind of rig that up. I know some guys that'll fish real light braid, especially near brush. Um, I do and I don't, I might have one rod or two rods in the boat dedicated to braid, but for the most part, I'm running mono um, or fluorocarbon. You know, the trick with fluorocarbon is, is you kind of got to find the right pound test for you. Um, heavier fluorocarbon's a little bit stiff, more brittle. Maybe it doesn't react as well on the smaller crappie size reels. Um, but, you know, a good quality fluorocarbon, Seagar makes some good stuff. There's a whole bunch of manufacturers that make really good stuff. And, that kind of stuff can make a big difference in clear water with finicky fish. So I know I'm kind of rambling, but a lot of my approach just simply comes down to, okay, I've got a bunch of tools in my boat. What is the best tool for the job given water clarity, given the types of presentation that I'm using? Am I trying to cast small jigs a long distance? And am I trying to fight wind? In which case I want a longer rod. Am I trying to jig vertically directly below the boat? In which case I want a shorter rod. Am I pitching minnows? uh, Which I do sometimes, like, especially when it's tough. Fish can be shallower in those transition middle areas. And a lot of times that's like minnow territory. And in which case, you know, I'm trying to think about how do I rig this minnow without casting it off? I'm trying to keep my kids entertained and keep them busy. One thing I do a fair amount of when I can and when I remember to is try to tie more loop knots into your panfish jigs, especially when you're working things a little more aggressively. I went fishing with a Florida guide here a couple of years ago who used loop knots on everything, every jig, every topwater, everything he threw was a loop knot. And he was just a huge believer in the amount of, you know, action that that imparts on a jig. I don't know how much that makes a huge difference to something that's being swum, you know, swam back at the boat. But if it's below a bobber and I'm giving it a little shake, I, I like I like more action rather than less. I'll tell you that. So those are some of the details of my rigging. Again, long-winded, uh, a little bit rambly, but 
you know, those are kind of the scenarios you're going to face and kind of the ways I've tried to attack it in the past. Oh man, that's such good stuff, man. And like, like it, you know, for, for somebody that fishes crappies quite a bit, you know, if 80, 90% of it is just a refresher course, it's the perfect time of year for a refresher course. Cause we haven't been in our boat, you know, side imaging crappies really a whole lot yet. So it's like, right. it's perfect. And then, you know, but th- those little tidbits and one thing I was thinking of here, uh, you know, we'll, we'll try to wrap it up here, but you know, talking about everybody's lake sets up different, you know, we already talked about that. And so the interpretation mm-hmm. of like, you know, it, you know, I think we can all, uh, you know, sort of define or, or, or figure out what shallow water means. Cause that's probably universally all of us, you know, shallow water, is shallow water, no matter how your lake sets up, but talking more about that intermediate depths and the deeper depths. Now that's where, you know, some people's intermediate depths might be other people's deep, you know, or their basin, For sure. you know? And so, yeah. so just be mindful of that. I'm not trying to get into that like a wormhole or whatever, but that's just like when you're interpreting this stuff, like, you know, I think it's just important that don't just assume that, you know, we're speaking just to one person and one person only. And, you know, what I mean, it's like, you know, you got to kind of figure out what your deep water is, you know, and then and and if you're the type of person that, you know, you've got a 20 foot basin in your lake, you know, a lot of your intermediate depths are, are, are you know, in you know, clear water, uh, you know, weed lines out to, you know, 13, 14 feet, you know, whatever it is, right? Like you kind of got to just sort of start thinking about how your lake's set up. And, you know, just, you know, when you're talking about rigging your stuff up and interpreting it properly, I guess, uh, you know, just to kind of help get that there. Because I think that, you know, interpreting information is a big thing now with all the content that's out there. There's so much high level stuff, but it still can be kind of tricky to interpret because we're all sort of uh, products of our own environment, you know, where we only know the things that we know and we don't know what we don't know. And then this guy that lives 100 miles over this way fishes lakes that are completely different than the lakes that I fish, but we're both crappie fishermen and we're listening to this podcast. You know, it's like kind of, you know, you kind of got to, you know, be super aware of, of what you're trying to do with the information. And anyways, to get into that water depth thing, I think is a classic example of that where people can oh, kind of get themselves off, off pace with interpreting stuff. I, I totally agree, which is why, you know, I think it's wise when you're talking to other anglers, my favorite thing to do is I don't care what lake they were on. I don't care to know how big the fish were, if they really crushed them or if they didn't, you know, if they just kind of did okay. I want to know a little bit more about their pattern and I want to hear some specifics. And usually when I just say, hey, man, I don't want to know where you're fishing. I don't want to steal your fish. I don't want to fish your bite, but I'd love to hear more about some of the details of it. Like, could you tell me just general water depth? What, you know, were, what do you think fish were eating where, where you were at? Do, do you think it was bloodworms on the bottom or do you think it was minnows? Were they coughing anything up? Were you fishing stationary below bobbers or were you pitching and casting? Were you trolling? You know, getting some of those details helps unlock certain secrets of the bite. And without even needing to know where they fish, gives you a clue of what crappies were doing on a given day in a given place. And you start hearing those patterns more and more and more, you start to see similarities that you can apply to your own bodies of water. Oh yeah. hundred percent, man. And then, you know, yeah, you can kind of capture somebody else's experience, you know, and then, and uh, you know, they, they might live far away. You might never travel to where they're from to fish those exact patterns. But when you pick out those little nuggets and you maybe apply it to where you're at, it's unbelievable how what's old is new. You know, we talked about this, I think it was last time or one of the last times we were on with COVID. Yeah. It's like, man, what's yep. old is new. They, like people, 
when you really dive into sort of the, some of these nuances of fishing, you realize that maybe you've been fishing your own home lake for 30 years, uh, uh, leaving a lot on the table. You know, those patterns are things that people have figured out in other places of the world that, oh, you, you know, and it sort of shines a light on something that was, you know, 50 yards away your whole life. And it's like a super fun thing, you know, that, that you could add to your arsenal, your roster. And, and uh, yeah, man, I, I agree with that 100%. Uh, hopefully anybody that, uh, you know, listens to this can take take some nuggets away. I know I have, I got a billion notes written down right now. I had a bunch of like question marks next to things I wanted answered. And I kind of like have the time stamps written down because I'm going to chase crappies <laughs> this year, man. I was, crappies are my first love. I was, I was just baptized in crappie water in Ottertail County. And you know, I live out in North Dakota now. I enjoy other things. I kind of have some, you know, some mistresses, if you will, with lake trout and walleyes and big pike and things like that. But I tell you what, man, uh, you know, crappies were, were always sort of the prized fish. Uh, all four seasons, you know, growing up and, and, uh, they, they taste really good and they're fun to catch. And, you know, like you said, they're cyclic. They, uh, they tend to, they tend to be there. If they were there once before, they tend to still be there and that makes it fun uh, with it. But anyways, let's wrap this up. We're super, uh, like on point for time. So let's wrap this up. Anything that you want to promote, uh, you know, your, your website, any of your articles, any, you know, your socials, anything that we can plug out there before we, uh, sign off. Yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm always doing different things, doing some TV work, doing some uh, articles and whatnot. You can find a lot of the articles on the pages of In Fisherman or Outdoor News, Midwest Outdoors, places like that. But kind of the place to track down most of my stuff is my website, www.joelnelsonoutdoors.com. And all my social sign-ons are at Joel Nelson Outdoors as well. So that's how you can track me down. And I just, I kind of try to do what we've been doing here, right? You just share what you're experiencing and at the end of the day, that's always going to be valuable to someone. And sometimes it's just valuable for me to say it out loud. It helps me remember a little better. Oh man, dude, I think that's so true. Oh man. I, it's like this whole podcast thing is a hack for me because it allows me to talk fishing about you know, a lot of times it's the, you know, the upcoming season. So I can knock the dust off before it gets here. And I'm super, right. I'm way more ready for stuff when I'm consuming that content. That's probably the upcoming season. And and uh oh yeah man totally awesome great points man well i will let you back to it joel thank you so much for your time thanks so much uh, good luck fishing all right we'll talk to you Bye.